Well, today we will continue on in our study through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So open your Bibles up there if you haven't already. Chapter 1. Last week we covered verses 1 through 6. And today we're only going to cover about five more verses. But um, we will be looking at many other scriptures today as well. So give you a lot of exercise in turning in your Bibles to different places. So if everyone's there, let's just start reading again in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace, peace to you, and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, again, last week we covered those first six verses, and you can go back and listen to the teaching. It's available on the web page now if you so desire. But I'm going to do something in today's teaching that I've never done before, and that is that I'm going to go backwards. Um, you see, after the study last Sunday, I was sitting there thinking about the study and kind of felt the Lord speak to me in my spirit and, and told me that I didn't comment on something that he wanted me to comment on in those first six verses that we cover. And that is that I skipped over something last week that is found here at the end of verse 4, where it says, And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, I mentioned last week that John was conveying a message of grace and peace, right, from Jesus Christ, as we see in these verses, but John also says that this greeting of grace and peace is also coming from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So I studied on this this past week, and I'd like to discuss with um, you some things about this this morning. What is being referred to here? Uh, you know, what, what, is, what is this that this greeting of peace and grace, what does it mean that it comes from the seven spirits who are before his throne? And before we jump into discussing that, I'd like to first of all point out to you that there is, of course, only one Holy Spirit. Now, how do we know this? Well, I want you to go ahead and mark this page in your Bible, and I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, it's in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4. You find 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. Then Ephesians. Because you could read that in Revelation there, chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, From the seven spirits who are before his throne, and say, Well, what's that all about? Well, you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. You know, I always like to stress that to you. Um, but in, in Ephesians chapter 4, it starts out in verse 1 and says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Now, of course, this is written by the Apostle Paul, who was in prison at the time he wrote this. And he was in prison for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering." bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay? And he says in verse 4, There is one body 
and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So it's very clear that there is one spirit, one God, one Lord, right? One spirit, though, we see here in verse uh, four. So as we flip back to Revelations chapter one now, what then is meant here in verse four, where it says that this greeting was also coming from the seven spirits who are before his throne? Well, now that I had you turn back here and look at that verse again, I want you to mark this page again, and I want you to turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. The Old Testament book of Isaiah. And again, like I mentioned earlier, as we study through Revelation, we're going to be jumping around to a lot of different scriptures. So it's going to help you get used to your Bible, kind of seeing where everything is. But Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, Isaiah is a prophet. He is prophesying here. So as you read that, you say, well, who is Jesse? Well, Jesse was the father of King David. And King David course, had a son named Solomon. And that line, that ancestral line of Jesus went on from there, right? And all the way down to Joseph, who was a spouse to Mary, right? And then, of course, Jesus was born. So this is the flesh and blood line being spoken of here, that earthly family into which Jesus was born. It came from Jesse, and that's what I, Isaiah is talking about here, from Jesse to David and to Solomon, and then on and on it goes. And in the Bible, you can find all of that genealogy that talks about all that. But Isaiah is, is speaking of here, and he's prophesying of the Messiah that is to come. And he says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots, okay? And of course, as Isaiah begins to prophesy here of the Messiah coming, we know that the Messiah did indeed come, Jesus Christ, right? And Isaiah continues on in verse 2 and says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, okay? So now remember, we saw in Ephesians that there's only one Spirit, right? But here, Isaiah describes the Spirit, right? And first of all, he describes the Spirit here as the Spirit of the Lord. Then he goes on to call this same Spirit the Spirit of wisdom, says there, and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So what is the word of God here through Isaiah telling us about the spirit? Well, Isaiah points out here seven characteristics of the spirit. Again, verse four tells us, first of all, that he is the spirit of the Lord. That's number one. And then we see here that he is the spirit of wisdom. That's number two. He is also the spirit of understanding, number three. Then we also see in verse two here that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of counsel. That's number four. Number five, he is the spirit of might. Number six, he is the spirit of knowledge. And finally, number seven, he is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So these are seven characteristics, if you will, that represent one spirit. 
the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. Okay? And I'll repeat those seven characteristics to you here. He is the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might. He is the Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. And in the Word of God, we will find all seven of these characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And as you continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll find that the Spirit of the Lord works in our hearts in all of these ways. He counsels us, right? He gives us strength. He, he guides us through this life. He gives us wisdom. I often get put in situations where I go to help to minister to somebody, and it's a situation that I look at and say, wow, this is just a big, this is a big tragic thing that has happened here. And they'll call on me to come and, and minister to them or whatever. And I'll get there and I just say, Lord, give me wisdom. Because I don't know what to say. Give me wisdom. And the Holy Spirit gives us that wisdom. But we see here the, these seven characteristics, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. Okay. And 1 Peter 1.23 tells us that we are born again through the Word of God, right? Then after we're born again through the Word of God, we then gain wisdom that we've never had before. So many people that give their lives to Jesus Christ often say, well, I never saw that before. I didn't realize that about my life. I didn't, I didn't even notice that I was going in that direction. I didn't know that you know, why that was that way or whatever. But the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord comes in us and He gives us wisdom. Just one of the things, okay, that the Spirit of the Lord. We gain understanding as well, don't we? Right? Our eyes be begin to be open to things that we didn't understand before. And why is that? Well, because we get into the Word of God and we read it and we learn it and we begin to see, oh, you see, I used to think of God in this way. I used to think he was just this mean guy in the sky, right? But as I read his word, I find out he's a God of love. He's a God of grace. See, our eyes become open, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And in the word of God, we also find counsel, you know, for our lives situations. And we say, wow, that relates to me. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I didn't know that's what God wanted. And it counsels us, right? And we find strength. We find knowledge. And we also learn to fear and reverence the Lord. And what I'm touching on here is those seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit that I pointed out to you from Isaiah there, right? All of these things take place in our lives. So that's why you, you often hear me say the Word of God is powerful. Well, the Bible itself says that, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, I believe it is. Or is it chapter 4, verse 12? One, one, way, one way or the other there. The Bible is powerful. The Word of God is powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, it says, right? It does a work within us that nothing else can. And all of that is being done by the, world, uh, by, uh, the Spirit of the Lord within us. So as we flip back now to Revelation chapter 1, like I said earlier, always let Scripture interpret scripture you get into trouble when you try and take a scripture and interpret it on your own we could read that we could for example we could read that scripture there in uh, revelations chapter 1 verse 4 where it says and from seven spirits who are before his throne and if we don't go study the word of god if we don't go look things up and research it right we can just go out and start preaching hey there's seven spirits and we can start a church the seven spirits church Come there. I'm one of the spirits. Who else wants to be the other one? You know, you can you can get all kind of stuff out of the Bible if you're not careful. But always let Scripture interpret Scripture. Dig deeper into us. Right. So verse um, this is not telling us in Revelation chapter one here that there are seven holy spirits, but rather John is using, you know, given to us some symbolism. And we're going to see that throughout the whole book of Revelation we're going to see a lot of symbolism that's, that's spoken in this book, right? And, you know, one thing too, you can never be dogmatic about how we understand the word of the Lord, okay? 
Because the Bible says that we know in part. We, we don't see everything clearly yet. You know, the Word of God says that eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. What is that saying? God, it's saying that God's much bigger than us. You know, so as I teach through Revelation here, I, I never teach in such a way that says, I know it all. And this is the final word. We're constantly growing. We're, I'm constantly growing. We're all going to constantly grow in the knowledge of the, the, the Lord. But right now, we don't see things clearly on this side of heaven. There's so much to understand. There's so much to learn about God. But we have the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom. And who gives us understanding, right? I could literally, as I'm going through this book, even just you know going through this first chapter, preparing it to teach to you all, I look at it and I say, you know, I could literally spend years and years just in the book of Revelation. I mean, we could just spend years in, in this book, right? So I encourage you to find some time, though, to be students of the Bible yourself. But again, never make the mistake of thinking you know it all, you know, when it comes to this book that we're studying now. So for today's teaching, though, I just wanted to point out to you that there is only one Holy Spirit, just like there's only one God. God exists, of course, we know from Scripture as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son, right, when He came to the earth, He, he existed as Spirit soul and body, didn't he? Just like we do. We exist today as a spirit, a soul, and a body. There's more to us than meets the eye. That's why the Bible says that man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. You know, you can't look at me from the outside and really know me. I can't look at you from the outside and really know you either. Because there's, there's more about us, okay? So we are spirit, soul, and body. The Holy Spirit, as we saw in Isaiah, He is the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom. These are the attributes of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. You know, so those seven things. And, and we're going to find that God gives... Uh, for whatever reason, in the Bible, God gives, you know, a, uh, a strong significance for some reason to the number, uh, to certain numbers in the Bible. The number seven is mentioned 44 times here in the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, throughout the whole Bible, God has placed a significance on the number seven itself. And I was thinking that you know, I might take you through some of those scriptures that deal with the number seven, but we won't do that today. Maybe we'll do that on another day. But anyway, now that I've kind of gone backwards here and lightly covered the topic of the seven spirits who are before his throne, we can now go ahead and move forward on into our verses for today. So starting in verse seven of Revelation chapter one, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So as we studied through the New Testament thus far, right? Beginning, of course, with the book of John five years ago almost, right? We, we, we have seen the life and the times of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And we know that from what we've studied in the New Testament, that of course he came to the earth born of a virgin. We've learned in the book of Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 10, that when it came to Jesus, that God, it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We also learned from Acts chapter 10, back when we studied that, that these things Jesus did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. The apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10 goes on to say of Jesus that God raised him up from the dead on the third day and showed him openly. 
not to all people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And the apostle Peter said, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. That's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus Christ. Everything I just read to you right there, I read from Acts chapter 10, okay, where it describes who, who Jesus was and, and what he did. Right. So there's so much to learn about Jesus in the New Testament. And we've been going through it now for some time. But here in verse seven, though, in Revelation chapter one, we see that it is emphatically stated that Jesus is coming again. So all of this that we learned about him as we've been going through the New Testament, all of this about his his life and, and what he did and how he healed and how he loved and all how he forgave and all of that that he's done. Now we get to Revelation here where we where, where we see very emphatically that Jesus is coming again. And this time he won't be overlooked. No, you're not going to be able to miss him. Every eye, it says, will see him, even those who pierced him. So who were the ones that pierced him? It was the Jews, right? And the Apostle Peter in the book of Acts, when he begins to preach the gospel, he goes out and he tells the Jews, hey, you killed him. You killed your Messiah. He's just trying to bring to their attention, hey, this is the one, this is the Messiah. And, and you killed him. You crucified him, right? So even the Jews, right, are, are going to, to look on him this time. It says, every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, okay? So, and now the majority of the Jews today have turned their eyes away from Jesus, to them, he is not their Messiah. But it's not just the Jews. Today, the majority of people as a whole pay no attention to who Jesus is. But the day is coming when every eye will see him. And the Bible says that the day will also come when every knee, when every knee will bow to him. And every knee, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Okay? So in the future, from where we are right now, all things are going to change. They will see Jesus, and it says there that all tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. You see, the Jews and many other people of the earth, right? Non-Jews, that is. Whether, be it white folks, black folks, Hispanics, Asians, Arabs, on and on, whatever, right? Anyone that has rejected Jesus will someday mourn because they have rejected Jesus. They will weep and they will mourn. They will say, yeah, I heard the gospel. I heard somebody preach the gospel to me and I rejected it. I rejected Jesus. So they will mourn because they have rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah, their Savior. And instead they chose to remain in their sin. Right? And maybe some of them have chosen a religion instead. But Jesus is coming again is what's being pointed out here. Now, I want you to mark this page and I want you to turn for a moment to the book of Acts chapter 1. So toward the front of the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then Acts. Acts chapter 1. You see, the disciples, right, the followers of Jesus, they were told that Jesus would be coming back someday. Okay, we see it here in Revelation, but the disciples were also told this. They, they were told that he, um, he would be coming in the clouds, as Revelation tells us. Look down at verse 9 here in Acts chapter 1. Now, this was, of course, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and after he had spent some time walking on the earth again with certain of his followers. And starting in verse nine, it says, now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, 
He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So in Revelation chapter 1, right, Jesus is reaffirming with the Apostle John. Remember, Jesus is given this revelation to the Apostle John. And he's reaffirming with the Apostle John that he is coming, on, coming again. And he's coming on the clouds just like he went up. Okay? So you see four different times in the book of Exodus, in the Old Testament book of Exodus, you'll see four different times where the presence of God, this is important, right? The presence of God is associated with a cloud, right? And I want to show you this, okay? Turn now to Exodus chapter 13. So second book in the Bible, you have Genesis, the first book in the Bible, then Exodus. So all the way back at the beginning of your Bible. Genesis, then Exodus. Okay, Exodus uh, chapter 13. So Exodus 13, let's start reading in verse 21. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So here we see a cloud, right, represented the presence of the Lord in the lives of the children of Israel, the Israelites, that is, right? So staying right here in Exodus, turn to chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. And let's look at verse 10. Now it came to pass. As Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. So again, here's the Lord revealing his presence in a cloud. Then, still staying in Exodus, turn to chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Okay, let's look at one more set of scriptures. Turn to chapter 24, Exodus chapter 24. Verse 15. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So do you get the point here? The Lord revealed himself to his children on these occasions in a cloud. When, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he was taken up in a cloud. When he comes again, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. So you see, again, I'm just pointing out to you, you can go to Revelation and read something like this and then you can go interpret it with other scriptures and find other scriptures that tie together with that, right? So, as we turn back to Revelation chapter 1, 
He's coming with clouds and every eye will see him. There's going to be no missing Jesus when he comes again. Okay. And then Jesus, um, he continues on in this revelation that he's given to John. And he makes a proclamation now about himself in verse 8. Revelation 1, 8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we already studied last week about the fact that he is, he was, and he is to come. But here we also learn that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You see, it's very similar to saying that he is, he was, and he is to come. Uh, you see, he was there at the beginning of creation. He's the Alpha. And he will be there at the end of time as we now know it. He is the Omega, the beginning and the end. Okay? And, but he also adds one thing here, doesn't he? And that is that he is the Almighty. Jesus proclaims about himself that he is the Almighty. And the, that word Almighty there in the original Greek, okay, is a word that means the ruler of all. Almighty God is what it means. This is what Jesus is making clear in this revelation to the Apostle John and to us, his servants, that he is Almighty God. And we remember, we, we saw in verse 1 that Jesus will give this revelation, like I said, to John, but he wanted John to show it to his servants. Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is God. He is the Almighty. Why is that so important? Well, there's so many that teach he is not. You know, there's a big religion here in this area that teaches that he is not God. Many people just say he was just a good man. That's all he was. But Jesus makes it very clear. And we see it throughout the whole New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament. We see who Jesus really is. And John is going to now give some more details with us here, right? In verse 9, he says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, I printed this map out just for you guys to look at here. Um, you can see here on those maps there that you have um, you see where the seven churches are there that have stars on them, right? These are the churches that Jesus told John to write to, and we're going to see that in just a few moments. But you will also see there on that map a little island that's called Patmos, right? It's got a little, uh, little line to it there. Now, this is where John was exiled to because of his faith in the Lord. He was exiled to this island of Patmos. And again, this is where he received this revelation of Jesus Christ. And the original recipients of this letter were whom John called, as he says there, companions in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. You see, the early church did indeed suffer tribulation simply because they professed the kingdom of God and simply because they believed in Jesus Christ and they awaited the return of Jesus Christ. We as Christians living in America today don't suffer too much persecution like that, do we? But let me tell you something. If you openly profess Christ, right, as we should be doing, you may find that there'll be more and more persecution in your life, right? And, and we see our country today, unfortunately, we see our country has turned away from the word of the Lord in the last 50 years. 
They've taken the Bible out of schools. They've taken prayer out of schools. Everything's all against no praying at the football games, nothing, right? They want to get, our country is saying no to God. Our country is turning their back on God, right? We've legalized the killing of, of unborn, right? We've mocked marriage as God created it. And in many ways today, evil is called good and good is called evil. So the times of persecution may increase in our lives as time goes by, unless, of course, we want to compromise and we want to hide our faith in the word of God. But John, because he did profess the word of God, and because he did have a testimony, as he says, of Jesus Christ. He was exiled and sent to do time on this island of Patmos. And like I said earlier, the Apostle Paul was imprisoned for his faith in the Lord. But praise God, though, that this didn't keep John from fellowshipping with the Lord. Verse 10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Okay? So I showed you that map where those churches were located. So here again, though, the number seven, right, we see. And Jesus wants John to write this book and, and send it to the seven churches. And Jesus has some things to say to these folks. And again, and again of course, we have this book in our Bibles today because it'll speak to us as well. And the voice of the Lord is described here by John as a loud voice as of a trumpet. And that's interesting to me because when Jesus walked on the earth, he was meek. He was mild. He was lowly. He never exalted himself. He was always humble and always soft-spoken. But now as we get to Revelation, we see a different Jesus in a sense. We see that the exalted Jesus. And he's now proclaiming who he really is. He's saying, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the Almighty. And you see that today the gospel goes forth into all the world, right? Whosoever will can come to the Lord today. God is still, the Lord is still extending grace and mercy to anyone who will receive it. He is loving. He is kind. He is patient. He is long-suffering. And He continues to reach out to people today by His Holy Spirit to convert people and to lead people to Him. But you see, the point is, as we get to Revelation, we're going to see something different. And that is that the time is coming and the time will soon be here when Jesus will appear again as the Almighty. And the Almighty, He will set things straight. He will appear as a judge. So today, in our day and age, that is, we need to continue to spread the gospel, right? We need to continue to lead people to repentance. And our lives need to be a testimony of the love that God has for us. We've all experienced God's love and continue to experience God's love working in our hearts. But not everyone around us is there. Not everyone around us has come to that place in their hearts. And we need to be a light to them. Okay? And it is a fact that right now we're living in a period of time that is the age of grace. It's a time when people can come to the Lord. And it's not too late. But the time will come when it will be too late. Okay? And we must recognize ourselves. First of all, we've got to recognize ourselves, who Jesus is and why Jesus came the first time. So how do we do that? Well, we study the Word of God like we've been doing, right? But we also need to live our lives now in a reverent manner. Remember we saw in Isaiah when we looked back about the Holy Spirit that He is the, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. That's reverence. 
Okay? And we are to live our lives in a reverent fashion that shows that we honor God, we honor His Word. We must be true disciples of Jesus Christ, following in the way of our Master. Jesus is patient, and He's waiting. He's waiting for as many people to be saved as possible before He comes again. Why do I say that? How do I know the Lord is waiting? Well, the only way I know is from the Word of God. And we're going to close on these scriptures, but I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Please take a moment and find it in the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Now pause right there for a moment because Peter is saying here, hey, listen to and obey both the prophets and the apostles. That's what Peter's saying. Make sure you live a life where you obey the prophets and the apostles, right? Well, how do we do that? Well, you and me have the writings of the prophets and of the apostles in our Bibles. We call one the Old Testament and we call one the New Testament, Okay, so we are to read the word of God and we are to be obedient to it, to it. Right. We can't lose heart. We cannot turn from our faith because there's going to be a lot of trash talking, if you will. Right. A lot of trash talking going on in the last days from the people of the world. And you hear it starting already. It's anti-Christian. Everything that's going on. Right. Okay, and anti, and what they're really being is anti-word of God. And Peter says in verse 3 here, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. So scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. So this is saying that there will be people that are just doing whatever they want to do, living however they want to live. They're not caring at all about the things of God. And that's where our society is going. That's where our whole world is going. And Peter's saying, hey, I want to stir up your mind here. I want to remind you that this is what it's going to be like when the last times get here. Okay, verse four continues and saying, where is the promise of his coming? So this is one of the ways they're going to be mocking. Well, where's this whole Jesus returning thing? Your Christians have been saying this forever. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Okay, so they're saying, hey, where is this? You know, we want nothing to do with your Bible. We want nothing to do with your God. We want to live however we want to live. You know, I was walking down the street last night in downtown Mill. Penny and I went to downtown Mill just to go walk around. We got a sandwich and we're just walking around and a guy tries to hand me a card. I didn't see him. For whatever reason, I didn't see him. He was trying to hand me a card that said the coexist on it, Penny said. And that's that bumper sticker that you'll see with all the different symbols. The C is one thing. I, I never really studied it. The C is one thing. The O is one thing. All the way through. And at the end, the T is the cross. And basically, it's saying just accept every religion and all that. Well, Penny said he put it right in my face. I must have been daydreaming. I just kept walking. Because she said, oh, you should have took, took it and talked to that guy. I'm like, what guy? And she told me about it. But I thought about it afterwards. You know, and the truth of the matter is, is I'll tell you, I believe we can all coexist. I believe that I'll get along fine with people of any religion, every religion. I'll love them. I'll work with them. But that's not the question. The question is, after this life, what happens? What happens after this life? Of course we can all get along. Of course we should all get along. I'm going to be kind to every person, no matter who they are, because that's what the Lord would do. And I'm going to reach out to love and to every person. But the bottom line is, what happens when it all 
comes to an end. And if you stand for your faith today, if you stand for your faith in Jesus Christ, they don't want to coexist with you. They want to call you haters, right? Because you believe and you stand for what the Word of God says about certain things. For example, the killing of unborn babies. The marriage, what it really means. What is marriage? What, is, what does God's Word say that it really is? And when you stand for it, they'll call you a hater. They don't want to coexist with you. They just want you to coexist with them, right? But they also, what they'll do is they'll mock the return of Jesus Christ. And they'll mock the return of Jesus in the way that they live their lives. But verse 5 here says, Peter goes on and says in verse 5, But for this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So they mock creation now, don't they? They teach evolution to our children nowadays. And they willfully forget, he says, that by the word of God, everything was created. They willfully forget that. So they teach something else. They've replaced it now with something else. Okay? And they willfully forget that there was a flood at one time. And they even use their scientists today to try and ref refute that the flood ever was. But there is something coming in the future. And verse 7 says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, in other words, that same word that created everything in the beginning, the heavens and the earth are preserved today by that same word. But it says, The heavens and the earth are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So according to Scripture, there is a judgment coming for people that live ungodly. And like I said, the Lord is waiting patiently for as many as will get saved to be saved. And verse 8 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. That's pretty amazing when you stop and think about that, right? See, we're not on the same time schedule that the Lord is on, okay? The Lord's been gone from the earth just a little over 2,000 years. And if a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years, well, then on his schedule, he's been gone two days, okay? So it's not been long. And the time is short, okay? So he can come at any time. And verse 9 confirms what I've been saying here. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, I'm glad the Lord didn't come back in 1985. Because I wasn't saved till 1986. And there's people today that need to be saved and the Lord is patiently waiting. He's coming again. We see it in Revelation. He is coming again. But he's waiting and he's patient. And verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both, to, um, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, in other words, oftentimes we trust in things of this world. We trust in things. We trust in our, you know, our house, our jobs, all these things, right? But since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Who's coming again? God. We know Jesus, right? He's coming. He's God. That's who's coming again, God. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So Jesus is coming again. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. Almighty God. And this period of time, this age in which we now live in, someday it will be no more. 
the age of grace will come to an end. And there's not going to be the opportunity for people to be saved at that point. So our conduct today should represent godliness. He's coming someday in the clouds and every eye will see him. And those that rejected him will mourn. We see that in the book of Revelation this morning. Those that have repented and turned to Jesus will rejoice in that day. So we need to, speak, to seek the Spirit of the Lord to lead and guide us through this life. Again, that's why I take you to the Word of God. Because it's the Spirit of the Lord that's going to teach us. Because the Spirit of the Lord is not only the Spirit of the Lord. He's the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. That's where we're going to get wisdom and understanding to live this life. He's the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of reverence, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So we need to learn of him, we need to grow in our knowledge of him, and we need to live in obedience to him. And we need also to share his love with people around us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, your living and active word, Lord. And, and we could go pull books off the, the library shelf and read them, and it couldn't have the impact on our hearts that your word does, Lord. So we thank you that you have not left us comfortless and alone. You have given us your Holy Spirit to comfort, to counsel us, to lead and to guide us through this life. We pray, Lord, that as we have studied your word this morning, and as we have grown in the knowledge of your, your word and of who you are, that now we'll go forth into the world this week and, Lord, we'll just continue to grow in the knowledge of you. We pray that you'll go before us in all things. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy in our lives. We thank you for your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.